Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's DC. N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Hey everyone, it's time for another episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. And I'm your host, Seth Singleton. This is DC Comics News Spinner Rack number 11. And the best thing I think about the Spinner Rack is you don't have to be in the same place as another person in order to enjoy it. I mean, it's kind of out there in the ether. All you got to do is look for it, find it. And that's why, thankfully, today I'm joined by comic book writer reviewer, and all-around great guy, Ari Bard from DC Comics News. Ari, can you say hello for us? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Like you said, I'm Ari. You can find me reviewing uh, comics almost every week here for DC Comics News. And Ari was really cool and kind enough to say that he wanted to jump on for an episode of The Spinner Rack, talk about comics, share with me, you, us, his top five picks and see which ones we agreed on, which ones we didn't agree on. And of course, have a great conversation about the books that bring us together. These great comic books from DC comics, as always, we're picking five from DC comics, five of the books published this week that we thought were the standouts and you should be reading. And we've got a few reasons why, and because he's our guest today, I'm going to ask Ari to go ahead and start things off and kind of lead the way. And when I agree with them, I'll I'll tell you about why. And when I don't, you'll hear the differences we have on the books we ended up choosing today. But you're going to find we're more similar than we are different. Ari, let's go ahead and start with the first book you'd like to talk about from your top five picks for this week. Yeah, so I'd like to talk about um, probably a story that, you know, uh, DC Comics releases this uh, collection of short stories once every quarter or so. And you never really know what to expect. But I was really delighted uh, by Dog Days of Summer, number one. Um, It had a great collection of animal-themed stories, not all dogs. um, But uh, there were a lot of standout short stories uh, featuring a lot of talent that I hope to see on more uh, ongoing books in the future. On that one, I am more than happy to agree with you, Ari. I really enjoyed the way this basically this collection of short stories these short comic book episodes started out i felt it was really heartwarming and engaging and uh, as i mentioned before we started recording the first thing that came to my mind was well this is so great and uplifting and positive if the rest of the stories are even half as good as this first one i'm gonna dig in and to my delight each one was as good, if not better, than uh, the next. Did you have a, uh, a favorite story that you uh, would like to talk about the most out of these or some highlights from them that you'd like to pull from? Your choice. Um, yes, my favorite uh, story was definitely the multiverse story, I guess you could say, featuring Captain Carrot. Um, let me just find out who the writers real quick i want to credit the team but just it was um it it featured sort of some uh some throwbacks to multiversity and it had a really just a really great um lesson while the zoo crew is sort of saving the world um six uh from andrew marino who's actually uh usually an editor at the at DC Comics, but I was super happy to see him uh, writing, as well as artist James Heron, uh, colors from Dave Stewart, and letters from Tom Napolitano. Uh, all of them do a great job on this short story. Um, it's really cool to see 
um, the Zoo crew sort of aren't taken seriously. The Justice League equivalents of the multiverse um, really show why they're important in the DC mythos, and I really appreciate that. I have to agree that I really thought the uh, the team was a lot of fun to see again. Like you mentioned, we haven't seen them uh, since their their big appearance in Multiversity, and I thought it was sort of fun the way they they brought some of that levity that was you know almost sort of missing from the situation they were facing, and how that was almost part and parcel with how they were able to overcome you know the big bad. Um, I also really enjoyed just a, a really sweet story um, of Bad Cow. <laughs> and just that, that really lovely moment, that appearance, and, and how someone as, you know, engaging as someone like Bat Cow can kind of be, how also the appearance seemed just so quiet and simple. You know, this is a, this is a thing where we've got all these other characters who are talking, and yet for the Bat Cow story very little, if anything, needs to be said by Batcow except for, you know, the occasional move. Right. It's just, that story, like, is just one giant laugh. You know, Dan Didio, for, you know, for everything he does, he gets a lot of flack from, from the fans and, and from critics and everything, but really he, he shows in stories like this uh, that he really knows how to have fun, and um, Bacow is, I know, a favorite of his, and it's really, it's always um, a lot of fun to see what he comes up with with these short stories, for sure. Yeah, it was just a fun ride, and part of, you know, kind of the magic that they made the Dog Days of Summer, just a really enjoyable read for me overall. Were there any parts that you found unenjoyable, or that maybe fell into your least favorite category, either on the story or the, the art side? Um, I sort of uh, Citizen Croc from Joshua Williamson didn't really uh, hit home for me as much as the other ones. I was sort of excited at the at the beginning um, to see sort of Croc's return home, so to speak, but it just um, it just really didn't have it didn't really didn't engage me as much as I thought it did. Um, I, I could see what I was trying to do with sort of um, the, the uh, young boy that he didn't want to sort of drag into his life, but uh, it just it just didn't work as well for me as some of the other stories. Yeah, I would have to agree with you on that, and simply say that while I wanted the Killer Croc story to to be more powerful, and I really thought you know the scenery was really gorgeous. I love seeing him in the bayou. And it feels like something that a lot of artists are getting more comfortable going to, whether it's with this or Swamp Thing or, or other characters that sort of exist out there in that, that swampy land. And then after all that great introduction, I felt like the story itself just didn't hold weight. It, it was beautiful scenery with not much filler. And if I'm looking for a story that's going to engage me visually, I, I have to hope at some point that it's going to have a story that's going to follow through. And while I got beautiful pictures... That was all I really ended up with out of that one. Um, on a total, if you were going to give a score for this book on a one to five, where do you think you would go ahead and rank this one at? Um, I'd probably rank this around a, a strong 3.5, maybe a little higher for uh, out of five. Um, definitely a really solid uh, and strong collection of stories here. Um, I definitely have preferred um, other collections in the, in the past. Nuclear Winter was, in my opinion, uh, DC's strongest sort of collection like this in recent memory. But this one's definitely okay. uh, strong. In my well, I don't feel too bad then because maybe it's just the softy in me. Maybe it's just that I I uh, I come to you know enjoy these more for whatever reasons, or or maybe it's just in the midst of all the the dark risings and occurrences uh, happening within the DC universe. A little bit of light, just storytelling really hit me. I gave this one a four out of five. Um, and I'm comfortable now just saying, yeah, okay, I apologize enough for it, but it, it's a good read. It's a fun read. And I, it's a four out of five. <laughs> it's just that simple. Yep, for sure. 
And moving right from that into our next book, I'm again letting Ari lead the way. After uh, a fun one like Dog Days in Summer, Ari, what was your next pick for the uh, your top five for this week from DC Comics? Um, my next pick would probably have to be uh, the Detective Comics Annual Number Two. Um, I have had mixed feelings so far about um, Peter Tomasi's run um, of Detective Comics, but I will say that this is a pretty great story for an annual, for sure. Um, but the thing that really stands out here for me is the art team, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Travis Moore and Max Rayner do a great job as artists, but um, the, the key here is the colors from Tamara Gonavian and Nick Filardi, who just really make every page pop with uh, with color, and it's it's really amazing to see. Um, Rob lays on letters, and he does a great job as well. But uh, this the the art in this book um, really blew me away. I'm happy to agree with you uh, regarding one just the overall quality of this book, and I'm happy that you pointed out uh, a great sort of moment like how well the art is done here and how bright the colors are when they pop off the page. I mean, as you flip through it, you can just see all these great moments, whether it's Bruce shaving in front of the mirror, uh, whether it's the first appearance of, uh, you know, and this is just for anybody listening who hasn't read it yet. Spoiler coming here, so go ahead and skip ahead if you need. But this is the introduction of the Reaper, you know, and, and his first appearance, I think, is just really strong. It's got you know, just all this great shadowing. And all of those sort of menacing reds and whites that, that make him such a, in one way, simple looking character. And for all that, also so menacing. Uh, and the way that the, just the darkness seems to rest on, him. you know, there's always a way that characters are drawn where darkness seems to set on them like an extra cape or something. And, uh, you can really see that with, uh, with this appearance. And then just as you move into the other characters, you know, that great shot of, uh, Gordon looking up. And the way the lights play on his face really illuminates those those really great color moments you were pointing to. Um, I also thought it was a great story introducing some ideas like the black case book, you know, showing, you know, where you keep those those cases that that challenge that mystified that that sort of kept the Dark Knight on his toes or because he never solved them are reasons that he's always like searching and thinking and and trying new things. Um I wondered if there were any other favorite moments you wanted to cover before we moved into any negatives you might have had about this book. Yeah, so um, I really like the sense of mystery here that um, Tomaz is bringing to the comic. I think that he's really been trying to do that with his detective comics run as of late. Um, a lot of the villains he's introduced, you don't know who they are at first. It's about the discovery of sort of what their motivations are. Uh, who's behind this sort of new villain persona? Um, and he does it once again here, uh, and I and I appreciated that for sure. Yeah, I also agree because one of the things that they point out is this is a character with history, and yet when Batman starts doing the math, things aren't adding up. So the question of who the identity of this new version of an old enemy might be, and and how it is that that can tie to a past that that links us back to so many different, you know, stories that have to do with Batman's history and his past and how they've shaped him to be the world's greatest detective. Um, this was one that, that definitely tested him, and I like the idea of taking something old, pushing it in a new way, and then challenging how can this be possible, and, of course, then creating that mystery that we and Batman are trying to solve. Right. Definitely. Ah, I appreciate it. Now, were there any, you know, less than stellar moments? Because it's okay to point out, even when the things we like don't always hit every mark. Um, some of the the way uh, Tomazi voices some of the characters has not always um, sort of meshed with me uh, in his run so far, and I think that continues here. Um, I found that uh, his Alfred is a little too casual for for what I usually expect from from Alfred as well as um, just sometimes certain phrases don't really strike me the, 
the right way or they, they strike me as funny. Um, but in general, I would say this is a pretty, pretty solid issue. I really appreciate you bringing that up. You know, I, I hadn't dwelt too much on Alfred, except for the moment when we see him putting uh, on a little display of his acting talents to uh, draw out Batman's uh, mystery man here and to sort of, you know, play a part in it. But I kind of, you know, was actually drawn to that part as a negative because I felt like it was an undersold moment. You know, overall, one of the things that we note about Alfred is he's a very talented actor. And in this this scene, uh, while I appreciated that we got to see his talents on display, I didn't feel like it was the best example. It was a really easy one. I felt like, actually, this might have been a situation where, you know, Batman, Bruce Wayne, or Alfred would have paid off a local. Hey, you know, go do this thing really quick because it's such a, an easy thing to do, you know, and then make trouble or get noticed. Um, but I hadn't really noticed that thing that you brought up, which was the way that Alfred's actually speaking, you know, in this issue and, and how he's presented. So I appreciate you bringing that up. That's something I can look at when I give this one a, a second look over after, you know, we're done talking about it. Um, the only thing left then is, you know, on a scale of uh, one to five, what would you end up giving this one for a final score? Uh, I'd probably give this one a three out of five. Yeah, I would have to say for myself, it was a 3.5. I really enjoyed uh, everything that was happening here. And yet at the same time, there were these moments that, that pulled me out, like I mentioned with the moment with Alfred. And there were a few others that it's easy to sort of dig into. But at that point, I feel like I'm just, you know, picking on something. Um, but overall, I felt this was a, a strong issue and one that probably would have gotten a higher score if there were moments that I felt could have been fulfilled just a little bit better. And the great thing about this is you and I aren't alone. Plenty of people out there are reading this book too. And if any of you have a different score or a comment or a thought to share, you can always reach out to us on your favorite social media platform. And we'll make sure that at the end of this, Ari and I have given you a chance to find out how to do that. But we're going to move on to book number three. And in the process... We're going to be adding our scores and always leaving the opportunity for you to share yours with us. I've got Ari leading the charge, and he's taken us through two books so far. We're going to move on to his third choice and see if I agree or if I've got something different. Ari, what was your third book for the top five this week? I'm going to have to uh, pick Superman, Leviathan Rising uh, this week. Uh, I thought it was a super strong issue, um, a, a huge setup from four different writers all writing uh, stories either upcoming or already ongoing within the Superman family, and it's just a really great story. Well, I'm not going to say that it's only because there was, you know, a shorter list of titles this week than there might be on other weeks, but I will go ahead and say that for whatever reasons they might be, Superman, Leviathan, Rising also ended up on my list and it was a, a top three pick. Um, and for many of the reasons that you mentioned, I mean, I was sort of stunned when I started looking at that that title page at the top there and all the different names that are below. And amazement that just this sort of feeling of, wow, that's a lot of people. This is a big project. And then as you open it up and it's roughly 72 some odd pages um, and really busy pages. I mean, there's a lot going on you know, right from the beginning all the way to the end, and each one, as you mentioned, featuring these writers who are, if not already writing titles, are in the process of playing their parts in this sort of large summer event that's occurred. Um, when it comes to picking this one, were there uh, favorite art or story moments you wanted to go into today? Um, my favorite moments are definitely thanks to Matt Fraction and his sort of new take on Jimmy Olsen. Um, I think it's absolutely brilliant, and I'm so excited to see what he brings to the character in his upcoming, upcoming miniseries. Um, I think it's going to really redefine um, Jimmy in such amazing ways, and uh, I can't wait to see what he brings to it. Well, I'm really happy you brought that up. It was a lot of fun for me to see Jimmy Olsen in this situation. And the idea of Matt Fraction being behind it, 
I mean, if you've had a chance to see any of his work recently, or maybe even over the past couple of years, and seen what he's done with characters who maybe hadn't been on the radar uh, quite as prominently, and who, because of his works, uh, have started to gain the attention of different comic book fans, especially when he gets his hands on them. Uh, Jimmy Olsen was a lot of fun to see in this one, simply because, one, we had an introduction to what seemed like his situation when he's texting Lois, and then we get the chance to actually see what kind of situation he's in when he actually sends that text. And I thought that was one of the more enjoyable moments regarding that storyline with Jimmy, was seeing how he's perceived once by Lois, and then later what he's actually trying to do in that moment, and how that creates a really fun twist that felt almost cinematic in some ways. Um, I also thought that there was uh, some great touches by, you know, sort of uh, pointing out the the element of Bruce, or sorry, the element of Clark in uh, in this story, and what it means for, for Clark Kent to be involved in Leviathan Rising. Um, I had a little bit of a slip there because... Batman makes an appearance at some point in this story, and, and you'll see why when we get there or when you're reading it. But I did enjoy the fact that, you know, for such a big event, there's a little bit more focus on what reporting means and, and how information will be one of these big things. I also was kind of intrigued by the fact that this is something that was referenced more recently in uh, the CW shows. Um, without being a spoiler person here, and if anyone feels like that could be a risk, tune out for 15 seconds. But this was something that was referenced in the final episode of uh, Supergirl on the CW. And Ari, if you haven't seen that yet, and I'm ruining something for you, I apologize. And I won't go into any greater detail than that. But uh, if that's something you had seen, I was curious if it was something, uh, what your thoughts might be on the fact that this is a comic event that's going into the summer, and yet it sounds like it's also going to have some crossover into mainstream television as well. Yeah, um, I heard it was referenced. Um, I've not seen actually seen that episode or that reference, but um, I'm, I can't say I'm surprised. Um, the event and undertaking that uh, Brian Michael Bendis is doing by sort of consolidating all of these espionage organizations within the DC universe under one giant story is, is such a huge uh, thing, such a huge deal. So um, it it's a really good choice by them, I think, to sort of mention it in the way that they did. Yeah, I, I'm thankful, one, that you didn't say, I hate you, Seth, for ruining that for me. <laughs> I didn't realize that. You're such a big jerk. So the fact that you knew in advance makes me feel a little bit better. And hopefully for anybody who, you know, made the point of skipping ahead to this point, we're, we're not trying to just give you this stuff. It's just that it's part of what's going on and part of the thing that's kind of the fabric that we're talking about. Um, and I like that you point out that Bendis is making such a point of drawing all of these different clandestine organizations into the story. And uh, I'm just intrigued to see it so quickly crossing over into the television side, you know, on the Arrowverse series, they've been moving pretty quickly from storylines like Invasion now up to, you know, the, the building up to uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. But to have a more recent storyline, you know, I'm, I was almost thinking, wow, are, are we going to get to a Checkmate or Omega story at some point? Like, uh, or Brother Eye? I mean, I'll be intrigued if, if we do, because that could be kind of fun. Um, but it was interesting to see that such a current storyline would be so... Uh, readily prepared to be moved into television at the same time. While I can glow on many of the other things about Leviathan Rising, and before I cut away, was there anything else you wanted to add that, that you thought stood out as a highlight, strong point, art, or story side with this issue? All right. Um, just that uh, all the writers do a great job. Um, I know some people uh, may not be a fan of what Bendis is doing right now, but I personally am, and uh, I think he continues to do well here. Um, Andre Mark Andrake has been doing um, a solid job as Supergirl, and for me, um, if if anything is to see from this, uh, from this, or anything is there to take away from this story, um, it's that Matt Fraction and Greg Rucka, um, who are coming out with uh, a Jimmy Olsen miniseries and a Lois Lane miniseries, respectively. 
Wow, I think that's a really good point to to mention there as well. You know, we were talking so much about Jimmy Olsen, but Lois Lane's role in this story was also really quite prominent. And I like that in both ways. This is a great introduction to these characters and how much they mean to the universe of Superman and how much they mean to sort of the the fabric of Superman's story beyond just the, the title guy wearing the cape. And how we got to see both of them doing the things that sort of make them integral parts of his his family and his community. But also how these are two people who have very strong identities. And when pushed or challenged, who they are comes through very, very impressively, I think. And I think it's a great way to not only introduce them, but to lead into these two great books that you're talking about coming out. And uh, while we've talked a lot about uh, Jimmy Olsen's, it's important to point out that Jimmy Ol- or that Lois Lane will also be getting her own book, and that both of these uh, really have some strong points referenced in Leviathan Rising, and that they're strong points that can be carried in their individual titles. I think for a really long time. Now that doesn't mean that everything's perfect in Leviathan Rising, and I've got a few qualms to raise. But first. I wanted to hand things over to Ari to see if there was any moments that didn't really hit the mark, either on story or art. Um, I actually thought this was a really strong issue. Um, obviously, with like 72 some odd pages, um, you're going to have some weak points um, here and there, but uh, there wasn't one specific moment that really took me out of the issue in any way. Uh, I just, I thought this was a really, really solid effort from everyone involved. Okay. Um, I'm going to be a little bit maybe of the uh, the fly in the ointment or uh, in the sparkling champagne in that I felt that there were, well, actually, I felt there was only one thing that stuck with me the most that, that sort of bothered me um, and, and felt like, well, it just felt like something that, that really had a lot of buildup and didn't follow through. Um, and if this falls into a spoiler category for anybody, just jump for 30 seconds. I'll be really fast. And it's just about the way that um, Clark Kent is basically used as part of Talia's plan. And, and then at some point, it's changed because of the forces at play and who she answers to. And then she's, you know, dismissed in a very brusque fashion. And while I like that her story, of course, carries on into more intrigue afterwards, I felt that the the buildup to it and then the eventuality of it felt kind of weak for me. I mean, I, I liked the idea of using Clark Kent, and I liked where that could have gone, but it felt like before there were any real stakes involved for either Clark or Tally or anybody else, everything stopped. And that could have made a great moment of tension that, that could have, I thought, maybe if built correctly, been a great thread to carry on through the rest of the summer events. You know, how it affected Clark, how it affected Talia, and everybody else involved. Um, did you want to respond to that in any way before I get your final score? Um, just that, yeah, I think that's understandable, but um, just knowing these writers that are involved, perhaps that decision um, and sort of the way that they played that uh, doesn't seem... Um, doesn't seem to really hit home right now, but it might pay off in the long run. There's always that chance, so we never know. Yeah, and I'm always happy to keep in mind the fact that when I'm on a writing team or when I've been editing, there's been moments where either for time or some other factor, um, the decision was made. And even the team isn't happy about it, but so much work has been built to that point that when put you know, against an issue or faced with a difficult decision, Sometimes you're not able to go forward in the ways you want to, and you have to be happy with what you're able to get, knowing that you can either pick things up later on or that you've left room to come back and tell parts of that story, as you mentioned, to have more of a point or relevancy later on in one of the other issues or in the main story altogether. So appreciate you pointing that out as well. Um, as far as the final score on a 1 to 5, where do you go ahead and set Superman Leviathan Rising number 1? 1 to 5. I thought this was a really, really strong issue from start to finish, uh, and so I'll be giving it a 4.5 out of 5. And I'm going to come just underneath that with a 4, 
Uh, maybe I'm reading too much into these moments. There was one other moment that, that didn't really ring true for me. And maybe, you know, without having gone into it too much, it's hard to see where I might be falling on a four. But uh, I felt my one example was strong enough. And that a second one that I don't really feel like I need to dig into for any reason is why I stay at that four. But there's nothing wrong with a four out of five because that's just my score. Ari gave it a 4.5. And we're still waiting for those who are listening to share what their score on a scale of one to five really is. And we'll make sure to remind you how to do that when we get to the end of this episode. But since we were talking about all these fours, why don't we just go ahead and move right into our next or our fourth pick for the top five books for this week from DC Comics as per the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. Ari, what was your fourth pick for this one? Um, my fourth pick, and actually I'm just going to uh, list it as my strongest pick right away here. Is definitely Batman Last Night on Earth. Um, I think that this is this is Snyder Scott Snyder's sort of uh, final stamp on Batman, and he is reuniting with Greg Capullo, Jonathan Gray Clapeon, and FCO Placencia from his um, sort of landmark Batman run, and I think it is the beginning of a journey that will define Batman for years to come. I think it is truly an amazing story. It's always nice when we can agree on so much. I mean, it's fun to disagree because then we can argue merits, and don't worry, there will be disagreements when we get to that final book selection. But when we can agree on stuff, we can just talk about all the stuff we love, which is a lot of fun. And on this one, it's really hard for me to find anything to disagree with everything you said. Although, just for anybody listening who might not have a great history in uh, Batman quite yet, which run would you be referring to when you're talking about Snyder and Capullo getting back together with the rest of their uh, bandmates? Um, so, Scott Snyder wrote 52-some um, issues of Batman um, as part of the new 52. I think his run started in 2011. Um uh, Capullo, Glapion, and Placencia were there for a lot of that run. I'm not quite sure which trade specifically, um, but definitely part of that run. He's also written um, other stories or spinoffs of, uh, with Batman in them as well. Um, he wrote his very first one, Black Mirror, was uh, was an arc in Detective Comics. Um, he's written Batman, part of Batman Eternal. Um, as well as some other odds and ends here and there, but uh, his his sort of sort of trademark stories um, you can always see him with Capullo, Glapion, and Placencia by his side. Well, and that's a really great sort of uh, glimpse back to some of the history that anybody who's listening can go ahead and delve into. If you're looking for more examples of this team working together and what you might be able to maybe with fervent anticipation, look forward to as Last Night on Earth continues. Um, I really enjoyed this book. I like so much about not only its introductions, but the way that it's trying to tell a story about realities and also a story that feels like such a dark version of, of possibility that it's not too outside of the, well, if everything fell the wrong way, could something like this really happen? And it does a great job of, of suggesting and then making those suggestions feel just a little bit more concrete with each new detail. Um, really compelling story, really great art. Before I list my favorites, Ari, what were yours, either on the art or story side, that you really enjoyed the most about this issue? Um, I, I just really like the general feel of the issue. I think that um, it has this sort of, like, prophetic, like almost religious feeling to it where it, it's it's formatted almost like something from scripture. Um, it's very much like uh, it almost knows that it's going to be timeless um, right away. Um, and it, it uh, really gives off that sort of feeling. Um, I think that there are numerous ways to sort of classify the story, whether you want to think of it as an Elseworlds tale. Um, if you're, if you're more familiar with 
uh, sort of the TV side of pop culture. There are definitely some moments here that remind me a lot of uh, HBO uh, show The Leftovers, um, as well as um, it's just uh, a style of, of, of a story that we haven't really seen Batman in before. I really, really like the fact that you brought up all those different elements. Um, I think they're great ways of starting out looking at this, and they allow me to, to sort of just also build on them and add that one of the things that stuck with me was the way each sort of uh, segment of this story involves such a complete universe. Um, we move through these great segments of the storytelling, and it opens with a classic Gotham environment, right? Everything that you anticipate to, to be Gotham when you pick it up. It's gritty, it's dark, there's like a, you know, inconsistent rain and moisture and wet and, and ugliness to it. And then suddenly you're in this stark whiteness of clearly, you know, uh, a clinical environment. There's a confusion about how you can be there. And then you move from that into this stark, very apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic, uh, dystopian, whatever you want to call it, ugliness. And in each one, the colors make everything feel so sharp, whether in their ugliness, brightness, you know, or in their sort of dreariness. And then from that, it just feels like you're in each sort of bubble. You know, you start in one world that feels so much like Gotham. You move into another one that feels so clinical. And then you finally move into a third one that just feels so stark and dreary. And everything about the story that's being told is made more concrete with all of this great art, whether it's the dark, the bright, or just the the dreary sort of ugh. Um, but those were my favorite parts. When it comes to the not-so-favorite parts, were there any negatives that stood out for you in this issue? Uh, anything where you said, ah, oh, it was almost perfect, except for this part, or I'd like this to be a little bit better? Just moving forward um it's really not enough for me to like knock it down any in my mind but um this story is definitely going for this sort of disorienting maddening feel to it and i think that um that could definitely like sort of frustrate people a little bit and and take people out of the story um, but to me, it's all part of uh, this sort of elaborate mystery that Snyder is setting up here about how the world sort of got to be in this way. Um, so it wasn't a huge deal, but I can understand how it might take a couple people out of the story. I appreciate you bringing that up because I can see where that would be a factor as well. I mean, when it really gets down to what the nut and bolts explanation is, it's just one of those things where you almost feel like it could happen. You know, there could be a point where people no longer are able to will themselves beyond whatever the challenges they're facing. And when that happens, where do they turn? How do they turn? And who do they turn on? Um, but you're also right. And I think it's really important to point out that um, this book doesn't let you get comfortable. It's got at least four distinct chapters. And as you move from one to the other, there's no sense that where you are is where you can stay or that you're 100% clear about exactly where you are, either in time or in place or in relation to these other sort of settings that you find yourself in. And that disorientation can or that disorienting uh, feeling can be really disruptive. And I know that there have been television programs as well as books and comic books that have been able to do that masterfully so that they can keep people from feeling like the book pushes them away. And I think you're right to point out that that could be a challenge with this one. Um, I don't think it's going to be, I think, uh, enough to keep people away for any reason, you know, beyond, well, I just don't like books of that reason or that style anyway, and so I'm, I'm just going to push away. Um, overall, I really struggled to find any problems with this book simply because everything it was introducing, it was only giving me enough to sort of set me up and prepare for what's coming next. And that makes it hard to sort of go, hey, that doesn't fit, or why is that here? It felt like it was all just enough introduction that I was going, well, you still got my interest, so I'm still just 
looking to understand everything that's going on. And the more I understand, yeah, maybe I'll have some questions, some doubts, some, wait a minute, that doesn't add up. But until we reach that point, I'm still just going along for the ride. Exactly. Um, I think this is definitely going to be a comic uh, that that will stay in people's minds for a long time. I agree. Um, I feel it's something that, you know, is also going to harken, as you mentioned, that timelessness to some of those great books that we've seen, you know, before uh, in other comic book companies who have given us a chance to sort of look ahead, even if it's unpleasant, to what a possible future might be. And that's exactly what Last Night on Earth gives us, a, a glimpse to what a version of, of this story might turn out to become. Uh, on a scale of one to five, Ari, where did you go ahead and put this one in? Uh, I'm definitely going to give it uh, a five out of five. It was really just uh, a landmark issue uh, in what I think is going to be a great complete story, in my opinion. The hardest thing for me about this is I was about to give it a 4.5, and I couldn't remember what the thing was that I wanted to knock it down for any reason below a 5. is. So without that, I can't say anything except, yeah, 5 out of 5, and I'm happy with it. Now, of course, here we get to a part where when it comes to the fifth chosen book, Ari and I are a little bit different, and I'm going to get let him lead the way by telling you what his fifth choice would be for the DC Comics new spinner rack for this week um so my fifth choice uh is heroes in crisis number nine um it's definitely um a bit controversial um and i don't i think there are dc comics uh is not releasing that many comics this week and i think of the ones that were remaining um there just weren't a lot of sort of strong points um, to really push one over the other, in my opinion. Um, but for me, I'm going to go with Heroes in Crisis number nine because um, that had moments for me that evoked sort of the strongest positive reaction of the three. Um, but to be fair, it also had moments for me that evoked the strongest negative reaction. I think that Tom King in this book um, conveys some really uh, some positive messages through some of his writing, and I think that there's a lot to like about this issue specifically. But as a conclusion to a series, um, I think that there's a lot of weaknesses here too, um, and some of which really cannot be ignored. So. This is definitely um, number five on my list, but um, I did think there was enough to say about it to put it there. With good reason, you know, I struggled with uh, with what my fifth book was going to be, and on this one, we end up disagreeing. Before I move on to my pick, were there any other uh, best or least moments you wanted to toss out there before you give a final one to five score for Heroes in Crisis number nine? Um, I don't want to spoil too much, um, so I will try, I'm not, I'm not going to, like, share any details, but, um, I, I'll just sort of reiterate that, um, there are a lot of, uh, sort of individual messages and individual things characters are saying that, um, are really are really strong and have the power to really resonate with people. But I think that in terms of the choices that are made and how to wrap up this series, um, there's just a lot that, that doesn't make sense. Um, and a lot, especially regarding Wally West, that is somewhat, uh, somewhat like maddening for me, uh, that, um, in terms of like why Tom King made these choices. Um, so I'm probably going to have to give this Heroes in Crisis number nine uh, a two out of five. Um, but I honestly can't say I, I would have given anything else that was released this week um, uh, a score greater than that for me. I agree with uh, what you were bringing up there, which is the idea that 
one, there have been a number of issues with this book uh, since its inception, and that one of the biggest is uh, circled and centered around uh, the treatment of a, a bit of a DC Comics favorite like Wally West. Um, something I can relate to because Wally was uh, the Flash that I grew up with uh, when I was reading comics. He was the, the the main guy in all the comics that I was reading that were titled Flash and being put out at the time. And to see what's happened to him in the past few years, not only before Rebirth, but since it and now in Heroes in Crisis, has created a, a lot of feedback and a lot of negative feedback uh, from fans all around. Uh, I can see where a lot of those factors would be, uh, you know, a part of your score overall. And it's also plenty of examples why this one didn't make the cut for me. Um, when it comes to my book number five for the DC Comics new spinner rack, I went ahead with the uh, Catwoman annual number one. Um, Catwoman isn't something that I read on a weekly basis. Sometimes I get a chance to read it and consider it for the spinner rack, but it hasn't appeared on my radar very often. I've enjoyed Catwoman in some of her uh, versions when she's appeared in either Detective or in Batman. Um, and I like her sometimes in her uh, own title. But what really stuck for me was the way that so many different storytelling elements made this kind of a confusing mystery. And a great sort of way to see how someone who's as independent as Selena Kyle can be both uh, great to have in the mix between superheroes and villains, but also how she can be the inspiration for both the right and the wrong kind of people. Um, when it comes to my favorites, you know, really overall, it was the storytelling and the way that we set up, which is with um, a mystery and a crime, and a process of different groups trying to figure it out, whether it's the police, whether it's Catwoman herself. And then, of course, you know, who are these sort of mysterious characters on the uh, the edges, and how do they tie into the bigger story? Um, it wasn't a perfect book for me. I really felt like there were a lot of things that, that once they were revealed, were meant to explain more than they did. And yet, at the same time, they suggested that Catwoman, as always seems to be the case, is part of the larger DC fabric, whether we or she is actually aware of it. You know, she seems like she's supposed to be in many ways such a street-level criminal or anti-hero or vigilante or self-made woman. And yet, so often, it feels like she's constantly interacting with these big name players who've been around for long before this short period of time that, that comics are looking at right now. Um, so I really enjoyed the way it did all those things. Um, I wasn't a big fan of some of the art and the parts in the story that could have been some of the strongest reveals after they were revealed didn't feel like they went anywhere um, specific. But in the end, um, this was an easy book for me to go ahead and give a solid four out of five just because it had great art, great story, and it showed me a Catwoman who was someone that maybe I thought I knew, and in this book, I got to learn something new about her I, I never really realized before. Um, really quick, if you wanted to throw out any honorable mentions for something that almost made your list uh, before we go ahead and wrap up today, or did this top five pretty much cover what you wanted to talk about for uh, DC Comics books this week. Um, yeah, there's there's not really much else um, coming out this week. I will say that uh, Catwoman, the Catwoman annual, almost beat out Heroes in Crisis for me. Um, especially, I actually loved uh, pretty much all the art. I thought all the art team, just like with the Detective Comics annual, really did a great job of showcasing a lot of different styles. Um, I loved a lot of these like, the, like digital artifact art effects that were included in there. Um, but in general, um, Joelle Jones's uh, writing just really hasn't uh, done a lot for me, both in the main uh, run and in this annual. Um, I think she really understands um, Catwoman as a character quite a bit, but a lot of the supporting characters that she chooses to pair her with just haven't really been all that interesting to me and haven't been enough to keep me engaged. Um, so, 
there was, I think there was definitely uh, some things to like about this issue, and uh, it was a tough choice between that and Heroes in Crisis for me. Um, but uh, Heroes in Crisis just barely uh, beat it out because I sort of had more of a neutral, middling reaction to this book, whereas um, Heroes in Crisis was a lot more polarizing, but also had a, a stronger positive reaction as well as negative reaction. Well, I really appreciate that you added in, you know, your take on the uh, on the art team for, you know, Catwoman's annual. I feel like you know, each of us is going to have a different eye. And even though mine wasn't the most encouraging when it comes to uh, that issue, hearing your perspective can give someone, anybody who's listening, a bit of a balanced perspective when it comes to, hey, this is a this is something you want to check out. This is something, you know, this is a different take on that art and that team. And that is going to bring us to the end of this edition, episode number 11 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. Just a reminder, you can find DC Comics News on all the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So please head over, subscribe to the podcast, and rate and review. You can also follow us on social media through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and or YouTube. Just use the at DC Comics News. That's at D-C-C-O-M-I-C-S-N-E-W-S to let us know your thoughts, your comments, your scores, and anything else you want us to know about your experience when listening to the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. I would like to say thank you to my good friend joining us today. That would be Ari Vard. Ari, can you tell everybody where they can find you out in that digital social media world? Uh, sure. Um, I, like I said, I'm a reviewer for DC Comics News. You can read usually at least one review a week from me. Um, I also review comics for Adventures in Poor Taste. And um, I, you can find me um, on Twitter at Ari underscore the underscore Bard. Nice. And you can find me here at the DC Comics News Spinner Rack on a weekly basis. Joined, hopefully, again by my good friend Ari, who had such great insight to share with us. Or you can catch me on a mostly weekly basis on the regular DC Comics News podcast. Uh, I also have reviews available on DC Comics News. Just look for me on there. And then if you're trying to find me anywhere else, just type in the words Seth Singleton and Storytellers. And, you know, pick the platform you like and let me know you're out there so I can say hi back. And with that, our episode, this edition, number 11, comes to a close. But there's always that reminder we need to share with you. And that is... Read more comics. And just like that, we're out of here. Thanks for joining us, folks. Can't wait to talk with you next time.